Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wal'aqibatu lilmuttaqin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidil Mursalin. Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddin. Amma ba'd. عن كعب بن مالك الأنصاري رضي الله عنه قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما ذئبان جائعان أرسلا في غنم بأفسد, بأفسد لها من حرس, المرء من حرس المرء على المال والشرف لدينه رواه الأحمد والنساء والترمذي وقال الإمام الترمذي حسن سحيه Respected brothers and sisters, inshallah, uh, again, while Sheikh Tamim was away, we didn't want to necessarily uh, continue from the same hadith of the Arba'in of Nawawi so he can complete them, inshallah. Uh, previously, we were reading in, uh, when, when he was away some of the hadith from Jami' al Ulumi wal Hikam, which was an addendum to, this, uh, to the Arba'in of Imam Nawawi. So we have finished those hadith, alhamdulillah. Those eight additional hadith, which we have finished previously. But the same uh, compiler, Ibn Rajab al-Hambali, he has a series of articles on various different hadith that are also very powerful, very impactful. And I thought it would be beneficial if we read one of those hadith and his commentary in relation to that. <clears throat> Keeping with a similar vein to what we've been discussing on Saturdays. So this is a hadith that Ibn Rajab... He has a lengthy, almost 30, 40 pages on discussing this one hadith. Because this hadith, while fairly simple and straightforward, it's a very nice parable painted by the Prophet ﷺ. In a hadith narrated in Ahmad, Nasa'i, Tirmidhi and other books, Ka'ab bin Malik narrates from the Prophet ﷺ that مَا ذِئْبَانِ جَائِعَانِ أُرْسِلَا فِي غَنَمٍ He mentions two hungry wolves that have been sent forward into a flock of sheep. These two wolves, these two hungry, ravenous wolves that have been set forth in a flock of sheep are not more destructive, they're not any more destructive than a person who has within him this greediness and this covetousness towards wealth and honor. These are not as destructive, that those wolves are not as destructive as these two qualities will be for a person in their deen. In another variation of the same hadith narrated by Jabir radiallahu an, it mentions, مَا ذِئْبَانِ ضَارِيَانِ بَاتَ فِي غَنَمٍ غَابَرُ رِعَاؤُهَا بِأَفْسِدَ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ حُبِّ الشَّرَفِ وَالْمَالِ لِدِينِ الْمُؤْمِنِ In a narration of Jabir radiallahu an, it mentions that two ravenous wolves, two ferocious wolves, that spend the night in a flock of sheep whose shepherd is absent will not be any more, any less corrupting, any less, less destructive for the people than the love of, 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 uh, of uh, fame and wealth, the destructiveness it will have upon the deen of a believer. So the Prophet ﷺ is painting a vivid example and a vivid portrait. Then imagine the type of destruction that would be caused, not just to any, any two wolves, two very hungry, two very ferocious wolves. If they were left with a pack of sheep throughout the night, no guardian, no shepherd, nothing to ward them away, what type of destruction that those sheep would cause? It would be a bloodbath, it would be a massacre. Right? The amount of destruction those two sheep would cause 
is no less than the destruction that these two qualities, the love for fame, the love for honor, and the love for wealth will have in the deen of a person. The Prophet is painting a very vivid portrait for us to realize the reality of these two things. That these two things are no less dangerous than those two wolves. And why is that? He's explaining that these two qualities, and understand one thing, the Prophet isn't just saying the qualities of a person you know, uh, uh, having wealth or having fame. He didn't say having them. He's saying those two, the person that has the greed for them, that lusts after them. Meaning, whether a person has it or they don't have it. It's one thing for a person to be famous, well-known. It's one thing for a person to have wealth. It's another thing for a person to be desirous of it, to be covetous of these two qualities. To desire, to covet, to long for wealth, and to desire, to covet, to long for fame. The interesting thing is, it's very possible for a person to be famous, but they don't have the love for fame. They don't have the desire for fame. They don't have the longing for fame. And similarly, it's very possible for a person to be wealthy, but they don't have the quality of longing for, these, for, for that money, desiring that money, chasing after that money. That person might have wealth, that person might have fame, but because the covetousness, because the greediness for it is not within them, they don't fall in this category. A prime example of that is many of the prophets of Allah. Who can be more famous than them? Who can be more honorable and noble than them? <clears throat> So this is not talking about the people having it. Similarly with wealth, some of the Sahaba were immensely wealthy. From the Ashara Mubashara, it's mentioned about Abdurrahman ibn Auf, that when he, uh, one time he came into Medina, his caravan of goods was so big, that literally it caused like a, an earthquake, the, the ground started shaking when his caravan came into town. That's the type of wealth he had. And we're not talking, you know like sometimes, a, you're like in the masjid, and like a semi-truck drives by and you just kind of feel the muscles like quiver for a second. That's a, a semi-truck. Imagine that same thing happening to an entire city because of camels. How many camels does that have to be? Meaning they had immense wealth. But again, they weren't those people that were covetous of that wealth. They weren't people that were greedy for that wealth. The first thing Ibn Rajab starts off by explaining is it's talking about this quality of that greed, that lust, that eager desire for it. Similarly, some people, they don't have money and they don't have wealth. You have one category where people have money and wealth, but they're not greedy about it. They don't fall in this category. And then some people, they have neither money nor fame. But that's all they dream of. That's all they lust after. They don't have it, and yet still they fall into this hadith. Why? Because they have that quality the Prophet is warning us about. You know, it's like window shopping. Right? You go store to store and you just look at the stuff you want to buy but you can't buy it. Right? This, the Prophet is talking about qualities within the heart. And this is the first thing we need to pay attention to. That these are qualities of the heart. They aren't material things that a person possesses. So he mentions this, 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 these destructive qualities when they're set forth. Why? It's because what type of appetite do those wolves devour those sheep with? And it's interesting, the Prophet also called them hungry. Because that hunger, is, is, it, it resembles that, that the quality of, of, of greed. It makes you want, it makes you desirous. Because the one that's not hungry, the one that is not going to be that ravenous, they'll be off to the side. But that greed, it makes a person just vicious. So he starts off by explaining that we have to understand this greediness, this viciousness for the dunya, these qualities of dunya specifically, fame and wealth. 
They come in different forms, and we should identify what those forms are. Brothers and sisters, we all have heard many a time, I mean, for no Muslim, this idea that, you know, lusting after the dunya is a bad thing, it's not a strange concept to any Muslim. You know, you, you attend one or two khutbahs, we come to realize that lusting after the dunya is something bad. But a lot of us still kind of, kind of face this quandary, but I still need to work to earn a living. I still need to like, be able to like, survive in the dunya. We have to understand, this is not talking about people trying to survive in the dunya. This is talking about people gaining a level of inordinate, right? A, 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 a level of greed for the dunya that is outside of equilibrium. This is a quality that is not healthy. This is a quality that is dangerous. We understand the certain things that a person needs to survive. Think of the example of like uh, uh, vitamins and nutrients, right? Vitamins and nutrients are things that people need to survive. Without vitamins and nutrients, a person, they can actually, they're going to die. Right? So much so, example is water. Water is something that we have to have to survive. We can't survive without water. But even water, if a person drinks too much water, can get water poisoning. There was a, it was on the news like some like five, seven years ago, some time ago, maybe more than that, ten years ago, right? And there was this radio show that they were doing this radio show contest and they didn't consult any doctors and they did something stupid. They tried to get people to drink as much water as possible and then hold their, you know, hold their, urge to relieve themselves. And whoever can drink the most water without having to relieve themselves win the, wins the contest. So the lady who actually would have won the contest, she drank so much water, she died because of water poisoning. Even water is something that we need to survive, you can overdose on it. Let alone other nutrients, other minerals, too much of certain, certain minerals, too much of certain vitamins, too much a person can die from poisoning. Iron, we need it to survive. You can die of iron poisoning as well. All these nutrients, people need them to survive, but you can get harmed because of overdosing on them. Just like that, for us to engage with the dunya, we have to. We live in the dunya. The only way you really cut off from the dunya is leaving this dunya, meaning dying. That's not what's being advocated. It's saying to realize that our dealing with the dunya needs to be within that proper level. It needs to be to that proper standard. You can't overdose on it. And this is the warning that's coming. How do we save ourselves from overdosing on the dunya? And specifically, those two aspects of the dunya are all the more dangerous. We need to be all the more cautious with regards to them. So these qualities, the first he mentions is that greediness for wealth. And the fact that wealth has a natural pull to it, every person can recognize this and realize this. Right? The moment a person starts understanding the value of money, the more they want to start counting their money and having more money and dreaming about what they would do if they had more money. It all starts from there. If I could have more things, if I could have more stuff, if I could have more material goods. So he starts off by saying this inordinate amount of greediness for wealth is of two types. The first type is, is shiddatu muhabbat al-mali ma'a shiddati talabihi min wujuhin mubah. Mubaha. He mentions that the first category is this intense desire and love for wealth along with an intense seeking of wealth through lawful means. The first thing he discusses is when people do this through lawful means. We're not talking about haram. 
until eventually a person begins to strive and strive and strive, that they will put themselves to immense difficulty. They will put themselves to immense struggle. They will put themselves through a lot of work to try to attain this wealth, but they'll do it through lawful means. He's saying even this can be done in a way that a person overextends and overexceeds the bounds. What is this? He explains and understand Allah has only given us a limited amount of time on this earth. Allah has not given us unlimited time. So when we're earning that wealth, we're investing all that time, we're investing all that energy, we're struggling, we're fighting, we're doing what we can to earn money. And we're doing it in lawful means. We're not doing haram things. We're not like getting caught up in like drug deals or, or like interest-bearing transactions or you know, uh, uh, ca- causing harm to other people. We're doing it through lawful means. But a person does it in such a way where literally, you know, my, my dad has this expression, he says, we have this expression in Bengali, you know, aram uh, haram. Uh, Right? That you make, your, you make relaxation you know, unlawful upon yourself. You make relaxation unlawful. You completely shun any type of, 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 of rest and relaxation to be able to earn that extra dollar. Right? Another, another dollar, another day, another dollar. That's how you see it. I was traveling a few months back. Uh, I was in New York and I was talking to some people, people in New York and apparently it's like co- common practice for people they work 7 days a week you know 16 hours a day I'm like how do you even survive? like if you have to work like that then I'm, not sure, I'm sure it's not all people but some people it's literally day and night how can I earn more money? how can I earn more money? they're off time they're thinking about how do I earn more money? they're on time they're thinking about how do I earn more money? He's saying when a person reaches that level where literally all they're doing is working hard, struggling, toughing it out just to earn more wealth. He's saying, what, are you, what is that person actually doing? He said, a person is going to such an extent, such a level of striving for dunya that literally he's going to earn more money than he can actually spend. It becomes eventually impossible for them to spend that money. I remember a long time ago, I was in, I think, uh, sixth grade. And at that time, Bill, I think around that time, Bill Gates either became or he was the richest person on earth. And it was like a big deal. So we had like 20 minutes before the end of break. And for whatever reason, our teacher decided, let's figure out how long it would take Bill Gates to spend all his money. Right? And he had something billion dollars in those days. This is like in the 90s, right? So he, we, we sat down in class and said, okay, it would be pretty hard to spend a million dollars a week. Or no, uh, yeah, a million dollars a week. Spending a million dollars a week, especially in the 90s, now things are more expensive too, right? But spending a million dollars a week would be hard. You know, you buy a house, you buy a, a couple of fancy cars, eventually you run out of things to buy. But say someone did spend a million dollars a week. Spend a million dollars a week. It would take you approximately 20 years to spend one billion dollars. If a person spent $1 million each week, $1 million each week, 50 weeks, 52 weeks in a year, roughly just round it off to 50, right? It will take you 20 years to spend a billion dollars, roughly, a little bit less than 20 years. But the point being is, when a person has multi-billion dollars, how are they going to even spend that money? At that time, he was working like 16 to 17 hours a day. His point here is, a person is going through so much difficulty, so much struggle, so so much effort to make money that they're not going to be able to spend. Their family won't be able to spend. Their grandkids won't be able to spend. 
So why, but, but literally, it becomes such a desire that a person can't stop. They need to want, they want more. They begin to be afraid of not having more. So this is what he says, that a person begins to spend so much time that you can't even spend that money. Someone else is going to spend your money. And then eventually what happens, you realize the government's going to take a big cut. So then whatever free time you had is spent, how do I make sure the government doesn't get my money? And it's just money, earning money, saving money, guarding money, this money, it's all just all on the brain. And he says, what does that leave for a person and their akhirah? We understand people that don't have deen, people don't have Islam, people don't believe in Allah, they get lost in that, we don't, we're not surprised they get lost in it because they don't know any better. But for a believer, because remember, this is addressing the believers. The Prophet ﷺ, he's warning the believers of the harm to one's deen. He said when a person becomes that covetous, that greedy for, for money, for material good, what happens? Eventually, they become so occupied, where are they going to be able to spend that time to be able to spend that money? He says they won't even have time to spend that money. Even if they had the intention that, okay, I'm going to earn all this money so I can build masadid, so I can build madaris, so I can build hospitals, so I can feed the poor, so I can feed the needy, so I can take care of the homeless. They have all these good, good intentions. But you're working so much, how are you going to spend any of it? That eventually it becomes impossible for that person to do any good because he's not left any time and he's not left any energy for himself to be able to use that, en- that wealth in positivity. So that wealth, it just becomes a burden on his shoulders because one of the things a person will be asked about in the Day of Judgment is how did you earn your money? So okay, the person didn't earn it in any haram ways, but he still has to answer for it. He still has to do the reckoning of it. And then on top of that, he doesn't have anything to say that, okay, at least after all that, I spent it in all these good ways. Because he, let, he didn't leave himself that opportunity. Because what happens? What does that greed do? What does that greed do? Eventually, it overtakes the person that a person can't think of anything else but to earn more or save more or protect more. It all becomes about the money. Eventually, it takes their time and attention away from the possibility of doing anything else with that wealth. So he says, even this greediness, there's two types of greediness. A person has a greediness which is constructive, and a person has a greediness which is destructive. Constructive greediness, the end result will be, you'll see with your own eyes, that that person is doing things that will benefit. It will benefit them in their relationship with Allah. It will benefit them in their relationship with Allah. You'll see it undoubtedly. But he says, those people that, have, that don't have this, they don't have the beneficial greed. Because the reality is people that, that anytime we gain something within our hands, greediness is going to increase. But at least that greediness should result in something of benefit. So he's saying when the people really benefit, they'll realize that money is coming in, but it's also going out. That person, the way they do their own litmus test to make sure that I'm not falling into this, is every time your, your wealth is increasing, you can actually see there's also some benefiting coming out of this. It's not like 5, 10, 15, 20 years have passed and I haven't seen any benefit come of my wealth. I haven't seen anything for the hereafter. Because what happens? The nafs begins to deceive itself. We begin to deceive ourselves. Our, our greed, our desires begins to deceive us into thinking we have lofty objectives in the future. So those objectives begin to convince ourselves that no, I will do something good with this. But the truth is, what good comes of it? He's encouraging us, Ibn Rajab, that use this to evaluate, is this 
desire I have to earn more, is it actually resulting, is, it, is the net result some benefit, or is there no benefit coming of this? Because if there's no benefit coming of it, then definitely that greed is the type of greed that will cause destruction. If it's not going to be constructive, it's definitely destructive. And what's the proof it's going to be destructive? You didn't gain anything in your relationship with Allah. The purpose for why we were created. The purpose for why we were created, we didn't even fulfill that purpose. And yet look at how much harm we're causing ourselves. We don't have time for our family. We don't have time for our friends. We don't have time for our health. We don't have time for anything of benefit. How could that wealth have done any good for that individual? It only caused them harm. So he advises a person to constantly re-evaluate. Right? You know how like at the end of the year people do their taxes? At the end of the year, people, you have this accounting to see. Or at the, even if you don't do your taxes, people that, are, that, do, that have big business, they do their books, right? They do their accounting at the end of the year. They want to make sure what was profitable, what was, what was not profitable, what was effective, what was ineffective. Anyone that, that is financially savvy, you know, every now and then they're going to do their books. Don't forget to do your books of the akhirah. Right, 2021 just ended. I'm looking at my financial net result. Okay, I earned this much money in this year. So that much money that I earned, that much savings that I gained, that savings shouldn't just be, okay, this is my new car, this is my house payment, this is my this, this is my that. No, that should also be, I earned this much money, what portion of that did I actually benefit my hereafter with? For people that have this, where they're big earners, Having that also, that accounting, my share that I have for the hereafter. It's mentioned that one time, at a time when there was very little water, a person was traveling, and he heard this, you know, this, this sound from the unseen that was directing a rain cloud to go to the profit property of a specific individual and water that land. So the person was astonished by this. That there's no water anywhere and this one place is getting water. So the person started looking into it. What, what is the story behind this rain cloud? Why is this rain cloud going to this one specific place? Why is it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directing, the angels are directing the rain to go to this one specific plot of land? So when the person investigates the situation of this person, they ask him about this, like, this is very incredible. Can you, can you share something? What, what do you think is the cause of this? He says, Allah knows best, but there's one thing that I do that I have a lot of hope in. I have this wealth, I have this property that earns money. I have agriculture. And at the end of the year, when I earn my money, I look at my profit. And I take my profit and I divide my profit into three parts. I take my profit and I divide it into three parts. One part I use to reinvest, to increase my business. One part I spend on my family. And one part I give for the sake of Allah. I have opened Allah that perhaps because of this Allah gives me barakah. And the person said, yeah, definitely that's it. Brothers and sisters, we understand that zakat is an obligation upon every Muslim. But those that Allah has given more to, they have an obligation above and beyond zakat. When Allah gave you more, Allah expects more as well. When Allah gives more, Allah expects more. We understand, this is, this is like logical, right? The person who has more is responsible for more. So now Allah has entrusted us with this wealth. What are we doing with that wealth? So he's saying that a person should see, is the wealth, the money that I'm amassing, is it beneficial? 
is my desire to increase my wealth, because this is a natural human inclination, is that causing me to benefit from my hereafter or is it not? So he's saying this is the first category. The second category he mentions, remember the first category was the greediness for wealth that is lawful wealth. Greediness for wealth, where wealth is being earned in a lawful way. When it can still be destructive. The second thing is that greediness for one's wealth, when it can still be destructive to the deen, is that when that greediness for wealth reaches the level of what's called shuh. It's one thing to have hirs, to have that greediness. But hirs can develop into shuh. What is shuh? It is when greediness reaches such a level that a person doesn't see lawful and unlawful any longer. They just want and they seek. And they have no consideration, no care, no concern. Whether I'm earning that in a lawful way, whether I'm gaining that in a lawful way, or I'm earning that in an unlawful way. Whether I'm earning it in a, in, in, in a noble way, or I'm earning it in a foul way. Whether I'm doing this in a dignified manner, or I'm doing this in a very, very you know, sleazy manner. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَن يُوقَ شُحَّ نَفْسِهِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ Whoever has guarded from that illicit greediness of the, of the soul, the illicit greediness of the self, they are the ones who are truly successful. The Prophet sallallahu mentions in a hadith of Abu Dawood, narrated on the authority of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, or sorry, by Umar radiallahu anhu, that اِتَّقُ الشُحَّ فَإِنَّ الشُحَّ so Umar mentions the Prophet says guard yourself from this illicit greediness like we said there's one greediness where a person doesn't do anything wrong. They just exhibit that greediness in those things that are lawful. That a person should still be cautious of. But we can clearly understand, just on face value, when a person's greediness reaches a level that now a person no longer sees halal and haram. They just want because it's very profitable. How destructive it could be. The Prophet says, guard yourself from that type of illicit greed. Because that illicit greed destroyed the people that came before you. It commanded them to break ties with people, so they broke ties. It commanded them to be stingy, so they were stingy. It commanded them to transgress, so they transgressed. A person, when it becomes so, and and the reality is, the first category will eventually lead to the second category if a person doesn't guard themselves early enough. A person, a brother once told me, he was a business owner, he says, subhanAllah, I've realized that the more I do business, the more haram opportunities I get. The more business I do, it's a business person, he says, the more business I do, the the realization I get, how much opportunity there is for business. Haram business. There's like really good money to be made. He said, to what extent? He said, even in my shop, if I'm at the shop, he said, I noticed it's exactly when I stand up to do my salat, that's when the most customers walk in. He said, to that extent, he said, I noticed the time I get the most customers is when I stand up for salat. I got to do my salat, that's when the, the, the onrush comes. Every opportunity. He says, the more opportunity, there's more, the more opportunities for business there are. It's not that he doesn't find halal opportunities. But there's more haram opportunities than there are halal.
This is the test from Allah. They asked one of the great imams of fiqh, Imam Muhammad, Imam Muhammad bin Hassan. They asked him, why don't you, you wrote so many great books. So Imam Muhammad was a prolific author. He wrote some of the greatest books of hadith, uh, a book of some of the greatest books of fiqh. So they asked him, why don't you write a book on zuhud, a book on abstinence from the dunya, a person guarding themselves from indulging, overindulging in dunya. He said, why don't you write a book on that topic? He said, I have. So the person was amazed. He's like, I don't know of any book you wrote on that topic. He said, ask him, why don't you write a book teaching people how to guard themselves from becoming engrossed in dunya? So he told them, I already have. He said, and the person's like, he's a student. He's like, I, I'm not, I didn't know you. Have, what, what book do you have? I'm not familiar with that book you wrote on this topic. He says, I wrote the book on business. I wrote Kitabul Buyu. I wrote the book of business. The lawful business of Islam. There's no greater act of guarding oneself from the inappropriate engrossing in dunya than for a person to do business in a lawful way. That's why it comes in one hadith that the people amin that the, the, the honest and trustworthy business person they will be with the martyrs and the prophets on the day of judgment why? it's because that's how difficult it is not difficult because there's no lawful opportunities difficult because the opportunities to do haram are much more and really a person has to guard from the greediness from the, from the lustfulness the lust towards wealth. There's one type of wealth, greed, there's one type of love of wealth which you can call like greed. And there's one type of love for wealth which you call just lust. People just lust after wealth. It becomes filthy. Right? I mean, even if you look, unfortunately, some of these people even use that type of language, right? Like the person is filthy rich. I mean, we, even in our, in, our, in our vernacular, in our language, we, it's called filth, being filthy rich. Right? We don't even have nice words for it. Why? Because literally a person, the love for wealth will reach that point. And what happens? A person doesn't see anything. If it means I need to cut ties with my brother, I got to cut ties with my brother. If it means I got to cut ties with my mother, I got to cut ties with my mother, mother. My dad told me the story. At one point in time, my, my dad used to do some business. And he told me that a person wanted to uh, uh, send some money to, to one of his relatives. And this person is extremely wealthy. My father knows the person and they know that this person is very wealthy. And he's like, you know what? I really need to send some money to my father. I haven't sent money to my parents in such a long time. And you know, my parents are getting old. They're no longer worth. They, they, need, some, they, need, some, uh, uh, they need some financial support. So like, yeah, I think I'll send them 50 bucks. My dad's like, send them 50 bucks? You just said your parents need. And I know the type of, this is like a very wealthy individual. He's like, no, but 50 bucks, when you do the, you know, the, uh, the conversion rate, it becomes like this. He's like, you know what, get out. Let's just leave. Like you have money, you have wealth, and you realize you need to spend something on your parents. It's not that $50, a person that can, afford, can only afford $50, spending $50 on your parents is enormous. But when you're spending $50,000 on your car, when you're spending $50,000 on your car, a person should be able to spend a little bit more than 50 bucks on their parents. This is the point. It's not, there's not like lines to be drawn. But eventually a person begins to forget the rights that are owed to other people. They'll break ties if they have to break ties. We heard this incident over here, right in the, in, 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 in the Bay Area. Right here in the Bay Area. One of the local imams was sharing this. That a brother came to him and was heartbroken. He was expressing his concern that, you know what, I lent my, my brother 
I lent my brother $70,000. Or I forgot, it was something like that. It was, ten, it was in the tens of thousands. And we have a written contract of when he's supposed to return it. When I, when I went to gain the money from him, he says he's never going to pay me back. So he asked the imam, can you please intervene? Can you please speak to my brother? Can you please, you know, ask him? So we went to speak to him and the brother's like, you know what, why should I pay him back? He's my brother. Why should I pay him back? He, he had a sense of entitlement. A person doesn't care. I will break. If this destroys my relationship with my brother, it destroys my relationship with my brother. But that money, I got to have that money. Literally breaking family ties. Literally a person, utmost level of stinginess. What, the, what is the prophet warning us of? Breaking ties, being stingy. And when it comes to commanding them towards transgression, commanding them towards transgression. Not caring if I have to drink. You know what? I got to make this business deal. If that means I got to drink with the, with the customer, I got to drink with the customer. All these things, what happens? That desire, that greed for wealth will push a person that they, they'll make justifications for everything. That's what you, and people will make excuses. That's what you got to do to, be business, to, to do business. No, that's what you got to do to do haram business. This is, this, is not, no, this is not a small matter. Rather, the more a person gets into it, the easier it will become for them to fall, fall further and further into this level of haram. In another hadith of Ahmad al-Nasai, it's narrated that the Prophet ﷺ said, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu narrates, that the Prophet ﷺ said, this qual- that the quality, لا يجتمع الشح والإيمان في قلب المؤمن في قلب مؤمن The Prophet ﷺ said, this, the quality of faith and this haram greediness for wealth, it cannot combine within the heart of a believer. Meaning either the person will retain their iman or they'll retain that greed. These two things can't mix. Why? Because eventually that shuh, eventually that illicit greediness for wealth will push the iman out. It will force the person to do, to sell out. So it's obvious then, if a person is willing to reach this level, it's, no, it's not odd. When the Prophet ﷺ said that there's two qualities, these two qualities, right? The greediness for wealth and the greediness for fame. That they're more destructive than a hungry wolf set on a flock of sheep. We see now, what does it mean? It's more harmful for a person's deen. Why is it more harmful for a person's deen? Because we realize this. And brothers and sisters, we don't need to look far. I guarantee us, if we just look inside society, we see countless people in this boat. Automatically, they did a study at UC Berkeley some like 10 years ago, that who are the, really the more generous people? And they did like these small little t- tests to see really who's more generous. And they wanted to see, you know, they have those uh, take a penny, leave a penny, like uh, uh, bowls in like gas stations and convenience stores and places like that. Take a penny, leave a penny. Like if you, if you have some change, you can just leave it there. And later on, if someone's short like a couple cents, they can take, you know, take from there. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So that take a penny, leave a penny. So they did a study to see who takes more and who leaves more. And they found people that like make less money are more likely to leave a penny. And the people that make more money are more likely to take a penny. <clears throat> they did, they, in that study also they, 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 want, they saw that you know in traffic this is also a, a, a type of giving and taking right in traffic people that drive luxury cars are less likely to allow people to merge 
and people that try, drive more economical cars are more likely to allow people to merge. I don't know if you notice this, in the freeway sometimes you drive, and some people will like speed up to make sure you can't merge. Like there's space, there's plenty of space, and the, drive, the person driving is super slow, but the moment you hit that turn signal, they like speed up. All of a sudden they realize how slow, and, and what is that? Even that much they're not ready to give. So they looked at all these things and they found, generally speaking, the people that make, not everybody, obviously, people that have wealth, many people are generous. But generally speaking, you will find that level of stinginess in those type of people. So then people say that, why do you see people give so much from that, from that strata? Brothers and sisters, remember one important thing about giving in Islam. Giving in Islam is not about the quantity of what you give. It's about the quality of what you give. It's not about the quantity of what you give, it's about the quality of what you give. A person might not have much, they can only afford two or three dollars, but every single Friday they give two or three dollars in sadaqah. Every time they see a poor person, they give them 50 cents, 25 cents, a dollar, whatever they've got. They don't have a lot, but from what they have, they give. Alhamdulillah, every now and then Allah's giving me an opportunity to travel in like the Muslim world. And you see this amazing quality that if you go into like villages anywhere in the Muslim world, the people might not have anything, but whatever they have, they're willing to share. You stop by somebody's house, it's unheard of. Like you can't leave my house without eating something. I might not have anything to give you. It might be a sip of water, but you cannot leave my house without taking at least a sip of water. Generosity is like in the blood. This is the quality of generosity. It's a quality. It's a quality that the people have. It's not about the, the, the dollar figures. And on the flip side, you have people that are giving millions, even billions of dollars, but they don't have an iota of sincerity in it. I think it was just last year, if I remember correctly, in the Super Bowl. You know the Super Bowl ads? They're very, very expensive. So there was one of these food delivery companies, I forgot which one it was. It was like DoorDash or Uber Eats or Grubhub, I, don't, I forgot which one it was. One of the, you can look it up. One of these food delivery companies, they made a $1 million donation. They made a $1 million donation to fight hunger. A million dollar donation for, for feeding people, for feeding the hungry. And they spent $5 million on a Super Bowl ad advertising that they spent a million dollars to fight hunger. They spent $1 million, $1 million actually spending it on, and Allah knows best if that $1 million even made it there, right? They spent $1 million on the poor people to feed them. And $5 million to let the world know we spent a million dollars. That's not generosity. It's as far from generosity as possible. But this now brings us into that tangent. It goes back to love of fame. That that quality is not there. People want people to honor them. People want people to respect them. People want people to love them. It's about showing off. It never had anything to do with the sincerity of pleasing Allah. So this quality of that greediness, what does it do? It brings that person to that stage. It brings that person to that greediness... That they'll sell out everything that they do. Even the good that they do, there's no goodness in it. Even the good that they do, there's no goodness in it. Because the motives and the objectives are totally different. So that greed for wealth, it even leads to the greed for money. A person, and the Prophet mentioned both, right? He mentions two things. That a hungry, two hungry wolves are not more destructive upon a flock of sheep 
than, a, than the qualities of greed for the, the wealth and greed for fame is to the deed of a believer. These two qualities is more destructive to the deen of a believer than two hungry wolves set on a flock of sheep. This fame, even when a person is doing good, love for fame will destroy that good that they do. It'll completely decimate whatever good that they intended, whatever good that they wanted to do. And the reality is, this greediness for fame, it is actually more worse, more harmful, more... more uh, uh, um, more severe than the, the greed for wealth. Why? Because the greed for wealth still has some limits. The greed for fame reaches a point that a person will even destroy their wealth to try to attain that fame. Case and example. Spending $5 million to donate $1 million. Right? A person will even go that extent. We talked about the harmfulness of the greed of wealth. We, are, we already understand that part. Where a person will be able to sell out their deen for, to make a buck. But this is something that a person will even sell out that buck to get a little bit of fame. And it is so dangerous and detrimental that even a person that is focused on their deen, even that person that is not engaging in the temptations of the dunya, even that person will sometimes sell out his deen for the sake of gaining that fame. That a person will become a pious individual in the eyes of people, quote-unquote pious. Why? So that people call him pious, not because he actually has piety within them. A person will seek knowledge, not because they are, knowledge is worthy of being sought, knowledge is being sought to obey Allah. They'll seek that knowledge, why? So that people call them knowledgeable. A person will do good not for the sake of Allah's pleasure, they'll do good to gain recognition and fame. They'll do good to gain that honor and reputation. And this is why he says that this quality of wanting that honor, wanting that respect from people, wanting that fame, wanting that status in the eyes of people, why it's so deadly, why it's so detrimental. That it will cause a person, as far as a person will go, to sell out his deen, to destroy his relationships, to engage in transgressions, right? And to, to be stingy for the sake of money, a person will go 10 times further for the sake of becoming famous. And in this era that we live in, the social media era that we live in, we see that front and center. That for 15 minutes of, for like sometimes 15 seconds of fame on TikTok or Snapchat or whatever, people will do stupid and crazy things. A person will be able to achieve high acts of worship, amazing acts of worship, and destroy it in a second because they have to post it on, on Instagram. Alhamdulillah, Allah gave me the good fortune of being able to go for, for, for Umrah just a, a year or two before, a few years before COVID. And this is when they still had that uh, second story mataf, right? The second story where you can do tawaf. They were doing construction in the haram, so they had, they had the normal area on, down on the ground, and they had like two stories on top of that. So one night, it was a long day, I, got, I was really tired. So one of the acts of worship that a person can do in the haram the special blessings that descend on the people of Haram. Right? A portion of it, half of it, is for those people that are doing tawaf of the Kaaba, going around the Kaaba. And a large portion of what remains is for those people that are in Salat. But there's also a small portion that remains for those people that just stare at the Kaaba for the sake of Allah. Just stare at the Kaaba for the sake of Allah. So when you're tired and you have nothing else to do, just sit down and stare at the Kaaba. So I was exhausted. So I went to the second story. It was a little bit before Isha, right? So it was, I was going to wait for Salat. And I just sit there and I could just look at the Kaaba and just relax and rest. 
So I'm sitting there and I'm sitting on the Kaaba on the side where the Hatim is. You know the Hatim is that little half circle right outside the Kaaba. If everyone sees the pictures of the Kaaba, there's this little half ring, this half wall, half circle wall on the side of the Kaaba. So I'm sitting there and I'm standing and I'm watching it. I'm watching the Kaaba from that side. And right at that moment, you know, they had opened the Hatim to allow people in. And the Hatim, anyone that, pray, that, that prays Salat or do, makes Dua in the front part of the Hatim, it's as if you're praying inside the Kaaba. In actuality, that was part of the Kaaba. It's a long story, but when the Kaaba was rebuilt uh, in the era of the Prophet ﷺ, it was rebuilt with that half ring. It's a long story, you'll believe for another time. But it was rebuilt so that, especially the front part of that half circle, it's praying inside the Kaaba if you're praying in there. So I saw this one person, he was a little bit tall, so he stood out from the crowd. So he was able to get in. And when he got in, he was like excited, and he's just like looking around. And uh, um, he hands his phone to a person, and he clings to the wall of the Kaaba, and he asks him to take a picture. I mean, you, you can see, we can read the body language. He just hangs on the wall of the Kaaba, and he tells him, take my picture, take my picture. And I'm watching this from top, I'm like, I'm shocked. Literally, a person is given an opportunity to go inside the Kaaba, and the first thought in his mind is, let me show the world I'm inside. That time where like you should to be, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Let me ask Allah, let me get, beg Allah. This is a time for my du'as to be answered. My mind is not with Allah, my mind is how do I destroy my deeds? I mean not literally, that's not the person's intention. But what happens? That opportunity, literally the first thing we do, how can I show the world? How can I demonstrate what I'm doing? So what happens as a result? Allah knows best. Allah can accept, Allah can forgive. But on face value, Allah knows best how much remains of that deed. That the moment you have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, your first concern is, how can I show it off to the world? How can I do riya? How can I show the people that can't see me right now? Literally, you're away from your friends and family. You have an opportunity to do something with sincerity. But that's not on the mind. Allah forgive the person, Allah have mercy on the person, Allah accepted despite all of that. But we see what is the, the, the current state of affairs led us to. That a person is, will be given the greatest opportunities to do the greatest deeds, to go to the greatest places, to great, gain the greatest blessings, and they will completely blow it for the sake of this one thing, of being able to just gain a little bit of recognition, to gain a little bit of you know, notoriety. Just to be able to say, I, I was there. I was reading this article just like uh, maybe about a year ago. This is uh, um, some time ago. And it was talking about how Mission Peak became one of the most sought after hikes in all of the Bay Area. And the reason being is there's this thing on t at the top of Mission Peak that, that like to go there and stand on that little thing and to take a picture has become like a big deal. It's just like get up there and take your picture and put it on Instagram so people know you made it to the top of Mission Peak. Just because that one iconic thing is there, it's like nothing. It is a place for you to stand on top of. It's like a little, like, I don't even know what you could call it. It's like a little stand. It's like literally like the most, nothing significant about it. The, much of all, the, the view is nice. But because it's an iconic thing, you can show that you're on top of Mission Peak. You're not on some top of some other hill that nobody knows of. You're on top of specifically Mission Peak. It became one of the most iconic, one of the most hiked trails that people would go after just for that one picture. This is what that love for wealth, uh, sorry, the love for fame will do to a person. That it completely takes them out of their senses. It will push a person to reach a level that they will sell out their deen, that they couldn't sell out their deen in that same way for the pursuit of wealth.
Allah says in the Quran, تِلْكَ الدَّارُ الْآخِرَةِ نَجْعَلُهَا لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُرِيدُونَ عُلُوًا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فَسَادًا وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ Allah speaks about Jannah. And He says, that is the abode of the hereafter, that we've made it for those people. Allah says, Jannah, that is the abode of the hereafter, that Allah has made it. Allah says, we've made it for those people that they do not seek loftiness in this world. They do not seek loftiness in this, in, on, on earth. Nor do they seek any corruption. And the true successful end result is for those people that have taqwa. Ibn Rajab continues and he says like, look, this love for fame manifests in one of two ways. Just like the love for wealth manifests in two ways. One is what we've already spoken about. That a person will do things, I mentioned it in reverse order, but a person will do things and expose their deeds. They will do things and expose their deeds for the sake of fame. They will do things. Now, the worst of it is that people will do things of deen. They will do religious acts. Right? They'll pray, they'll go for hajj, they'll go for umrah, they'll gain knowledge, all for the sake of some sort of recognition. A person wants to become a student of knowledge, why? So that people will listen to them give good lectures. A person literally told me that one time. He says, I, I, you know, uh, um, a person was, wanted to make some consultation, and he, uh, 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 he asked me, he said, you know, I really want to become a chaplain someplace. So I said, like, mashallah, that's great. Have you ever, like, gone and volunteered in those places so you know, you get a taste for it, you can get a feel for it? He says, no, I've never done it before. So I said, like, you might want to, like, just try it out just to see if it suits you. So then out of curiosity, I'm like, you never tried it, so like, why are you so eager to want to become a chaplain? So I said, why do you want, you know, what's, the, what, what's motivating you? He said, I want people to listen to me. Right? I don't have that type of knowledge that I can give lectures in the masjid. I want, to go, I, want to be, I want people to listen to me. So I'm like, brother, you probably shouldn't be you know, pursuing this. Like, that's, not the, that's not the right reason. People will want to attain knowledge for all the wrong reasons. They want to have a title behind their, behind, you know, in front of their name. They want people to, 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 to praise them. They want people to respect them. People want to worship Allah in, in, in abundance. Why? So that people will say that they're pious. People want to go for Hajj and Umrah. Why? So that I can have Haji Saab added to my name officially. Right? My name, you know, first name Haji, last name Saab. Haji Saab. Right? That's how I should just be known from here on out. People will do religious things for the sake of fame. People will give sadaqah which, you know, I can take a check and just give it to whatever institute quietly. No, no, I need to have some sort of recognition. Can you put a plaque? Like, you know what, I want to give to the masjid, but can you put a plaque, you know, on the wall of the masjid so when people walk in, they can know who, like, who paid for the, you know, you know all the renovations? People do this. People will do this. It happened at this masjid. People asked, I'll give this, this type of donation if you guys put a plaque in, like, the, you know, for me. It could be, like, in the wudu area. It doesn't need to be in the masjid. I'm not exaggerating, I had this conversation with somebody, right? People will go that far. I will do this for this, but I need to have this recognition. This is, this is the worst category, that people will do things of deen for the sake of dunya, for the sake of gaining that name and recognition. Now a lesser extent, but just as deadly, is people will th- do things of dunya for the sake of that fame and recognition. Right? Just as deadly. That people will try to achieve certain things in life. I want to become, you know, such and such professor so that people know I'm, you know, I'm the professor. I want to become such and such, you know, a, a, a lawyer so that people can, you know, add that title to mine. I have like the name of, you know, now, now I can like actually sign my name, Esquire, 
All right? I want to become a doctor so that people call me Dr. Saab. I want to become, you know, the president of such and such so that, you know, it has a nice ring to it. President Fulan. It sounds really nice. Right? Even like kids in like kindergarten are being taught to like seek presidency from now on. It's, it's crazy. People will do things of dunya, do things of, of, of akhirah. People will simply do things just to gain that name recognition. This is one type of disease where people want honor. And in the process of seeking honor, they will destroy their deen. The second category is that people will seek leadership. And they'll seek authority for the sake of having this honor. That when I'm in charge, people got to respect me. When I'm in charge, people have to show that respect. So I need to make my way up the ladder. You know, unfortunately, we have many places where literally masajid, they become filled with politics. Masajid become, you know, unfortunately, our, 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 our Ustad Sheikh Hashim, he mentions this point. He's unfortunately, many places, there was a time when the piety of the people would cause the marketplaces to become like the masajid. It's mentioned about many of the great ulama. When you read their, their biographies, they were, they, were, they, were, uh, they were merchants, they were artisans, they were people of skill. Right? There were people like Quduri, they were like pot makers, or you know, uh, uh, Jassas, they were like whitewashers, they were, they were the people that would make, do things with plaster, people that had skills, the Bagh, the people that were tanners, people that would, their, their, their trade and their profession, that was the place where they would actually teach people deen. It was famous about many of the pious ulama, like for example, Imam Abu Hanifa, he was a cloth merchant. Many people, they were business people, but their businesses were avenues by which they would guide the people. They would teach their trade and they would teach deen at the same time. The marketplaces became like the masajid. And then he mentions, and unfortunately we've lived in a time when the masajid have become like marketplaces. All the stuff that, you know, is unsuitable for the masjid. It's mentioned that the worst places, you know, on the face of the earth are the marketplaces. Why? Because we've, what we've spoken about, it's the place where people will do all sorts of wicked things for the sake of earning a buck. People will lie, cheat, steal, deceive. They will do all these things that are unlawful, inappropriate, just to make money. So Allah dislikes them. Allah hates them. There are places where people will sell out their deen. But that same thing is happening in the masjid. That people, all the lying, all the cheating, all the politics, all the, all the riffraff that we see of, of, of the inappropriate things going on out on the streets, people bring that into the masajid. Fights, arguments, you know, conflict all over who's going to be the president of the masjid. A person will compete for the presidency of the masjid without even thinking to himself, I should at least try to pray Juma in that masjid, let alone like Salat. Let alone any other Salat. There are certain places where even the administration of the masajid, they don't even pray salat in that masjid. I only want to become president of the masjid just so that people will know that I'm the president of the masjid. Literally trying to gain status, trying to gain stature in the workplace, doing whatever we can to trample on top of people to gain a little bit of authority. People will try to gain leadership and position for the sake of having the respect of people. And that's why we see corrupt leaders wherever we see corrupt leaders. Throughout the world, why do we see all this corruption, you know, so many corrupt leaders? Wherever you go, in whatever, you know, sphere. In America, people are fed up with elections. Why? Because it's like almost, it's gotten to the point of it doesn't really matter who comes to power. It's the same, you know, it's the same difference. That's why the majority of people don't even vote in America. They've realized what's the, what difference does it really make? People get fed up. Why? Read, listen to this hadith. 
The Prophet in a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet told Abdul Rahman ibn Samura, Ya Abdul Rahman, Ya Abdul Rahman, La tas'al al-imara, fa'innaka in u'titaha an mas'alatin, wukilat ilayha. When u'titaha, min ghayri mas'alatin, u'inta alayha. The Prophet told Abdul Rahman ibn Samura, that, O oh, Abdul Rahman, do not seek leadership. Do not ask for leadership. Right off the bat, the, our, the entire system of leadership, most places we see in the world today, be it in politics, be it in our businesses, be it in, in corporations, wherever we go, in most places, what do people do? What is leadership based on? People seeking authority and leadership. What does the Prophet start, start off with? Don't seek leadership. That's the first thing the Prophet says. Don't seek leadership. Why? Because if it's given to you without asking for it, oh sorry, sorry. If it's given to you when you ask for it, you will be responsible for it and you won't be able to, and what's implied here, you won't be able to fulfill that responsibility. If you ask for it, you're asking upon yourself a type of responsibility you won't be able to fulfill. But when it's given to you without you asking for it, then you shall be assisted within it. Meaning the assistance of Allah will be with you. The true leader is a person that when people see them, they come to them begging them, please lead us. We need you. Why? Because they have the qualities within them that are worthy of that leadership. It's not something that people are chasing after just so that they can become president so-and-so, senator so-and-so, representative so-and-so, board member so-and-so. When people are chasing after it, it becomes what? Something that a person is saying, I'm capable, I'm worthy, give me, give me. So what happens? You think you're capable? You really think you're that great? Prove it. So everything will be handed over to that person and that person will not be able to fulfill that responsibility. Why? Because mankind is weak. Allah says so in the Quran. Allah says we've created mankind weak. But with that person who has qualities, usually what happens, people that have no qualities, they're running for it. But the people that have qualities, the people are pushing them towards it. We need you, we want you, please do this for us. The people ask them to lead. Why? Because they see this person has qualities. When it comes to them in that manner, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will assist them. Why? Because it was a responsibility thrust upon them with no desire of their own. If we want to see why we have this, you know, this problem of leadership in our day and age, this is why the problem of leadership exists. Umar radiallahu anhu mentioned that person who seeks leadership has proven his unworthiness for it. The person who seeks leadership has proven their unworthiness for it. Why? Because that seeking of leadership, what is behind it? Is ultimately the root of it is a quality that a person is seeking that honor and prestige. A quality that the Prophet said, what about again? That it is more destructive than a ravenous wolf on a flock of sheep. Some of the Salaf said, anyone who has a greediness towards leadership, they will not be able to be fair and just in, that, in the fulfillment of that position. 
Note, when we understand the implication of the words of the Prophet and we understand the implications of what a person is putting themselves into, when we realize that the greediness for this quality of leadership is a bad thing, we just have to realize that first. Let's take it step by step. Ibn Rajab is saying, let's take it step by step. If we simply realize that the greediness for leadership is a bad thing, then we'll realize by seeking it, we're automatically necessitating a bad end. When you're seeking something bad, you un- you're necessitating something bad happening. And you're striving towards the acquisition of that bad outcome. And after that bad thing happens, no matter how hard you try, you won't be able to properly save yourselves from it. So rather save yourselves from the very get-go. Save yourselves from before even falling into it. Brothers and sisters, I'll end with this point. That nowadays, a lot of times people ask this quality, how do we build Muslim leaders? Before we need to build Muslim leaders, we need to build Muslims. Right? Before trying to build Muslim leaders, people want to build like Muslim leaders amongst the youth. Start off, build Muslim youth who are Muslim youth. Right? Why? When a person has those qualities within them, they'll automatically be th- thrive in that situation. Why? Because what are the qualities of Islam? When a person has good character, what does that do? I'll, I'll start with this. The Prophet ﷺ mentions in the hadith of Mu'atta, that I've been sent to perfect good character. Okay, so if the Prophet ﷺ was sent to perfect good character, the Prophet ﷺ was sent to perfect good character. So when a, perfin, when a person perfects this quality that the Prophet was sent with, meaning a person perfects their deen, the Prophet was sent with deen, right? The Prophet was sent with the deen. And the Prophet says he was sent to perfect good character. Therefore, if you want to perfect good character, perfect your deen. So if you have a person who has perfected their deen, then what's going to happen? You're going to have a person who's perfected good character. And when you have a person who's perfected good character, what are you going to have? You're going to have leaders who have good character. When you have people that have good character, when you have building Muslims, developing, training, nurturing Muslims that have good character, good qualities, have proper Islam within them, they have honesty, they have integrity, they have the qualities that is befitting of a believer, what's going to happen? You will have a plethora of people. And for amongst those people, naturally the people will say, these are people that are worthy of leading us. They will naturally become good leaders. Why? Because they started from good soil. But if you start off putting in the poison of seek leadership, seek leadership, seek leadership, from the very get-go, quote-unquote, the people that you're trying to make, quote-unquote, young Muslim leaders, you've poisoned them in such a way, then from the very get-go, they aren't learning their deen, their priorities are mixed up, and they've been poisoned with this quality that the Prophet is saying, that it will cause a person to destroy their deen. So when they destroy their deen, what are they also going to do? They're going to destroy their character. Because these two things go hand in hand. The perfection of deen is perfection of character. And the destruction of deen is the destruction of character. Understand how the, 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 the question from the very get-go is wrong. People are more concerned about leadership when we don't even have the soil to be able to plant those seeds. Have the soil, you won't be helped but have you know, good produce coming out of it. Fertile earth, fertile soil, it doesn't take a lot of effort to be able to give good vegetation. Infertile soil, 
infertile earth, no matter how hard you try, you'll have foul plants. You'll have weeds and, and all the things that you don't need. Brothers and sisters, this is how we solve all these issues. These are the destructive qualities of this greediness for the wrong things. Rather, let's have that greediness, that eagerness, that we gain those things that will develop the qualities of goodness within us. Like we said in the very beginning, and we'll end with that point again. That having wealth and having honor and respect is not a bad thing. Having wealth and having recognition and notoriety and fame is not a bad thing in and of itself. It's the greed for these things. It's the lust for these things. It's the uncompromising drive for these things where a person will be able to compromise everything else in their life, including every aspect of their deen. That is what is destructive. But if a person develops the quality of trying to perfect their deen from the very get-go, if and when these things come on their own, and they will automatically come on their own to the people that do things the right way, if and when they come on their own, they will not cause that harm, they will not cause that destruction. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those people that have been saved from these two destructive qualities and make us from amongst those people who have attained that perfection in their deen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khairi khalqi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.